everybody to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today we're in the Slip Angle Moto IQ Studios here in Gardena, California. I'm joined by Mike Kojima. What's up, Mike? Hey, everybody. And today in the studio, we have uh, pretty much one of the best engine calibrators in the country, if not the world, Mitch McKee. What's going on, Mitch? Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, I would say Mitch is famous because he tuned my <laughs> STI many years ago, and the thing's still running. It hasn't blown up yet. No, it hasn't blown up. <laughs> Knock on wood. It'll probably blow few. up tomorrow. Yeah. So that's how you know he knows his stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was so paranoid that I thought... You know, even with something that's a really good tuner, this thing's only got about a year on it. <laughs> so I bought all the parts to build a bitch in a uh, 2.6 liter motor, uh, you know, arrow crank, Carrillo rods, J pistons, uh, CNC heads, uh, Cosworth cams, and they're all sitting on the shelf there still. Really? Because the engine hasn't blown up yet. <laughs> Not yet. Give it more time. It might I mean, just happen. I could probably help you out with that if you want. <laughs> You know, it's running so good, I'm, like, reluctant to take it apart. Yeah. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, Mitch, you are uh, are kind of new to Southern California, right? Yeah. I uh, I was here earlier. Uh, I lived here a couple years ago. Uh, we did a lot of the Porsche development uh, for Cobb tuning uh, when we manufactured the access port. Um, so I lived here a few years back, but then I moved to Texas, and now I'm back here. Uh, I left Cobb tuning, and now... Uh, I own a company called Dino Spectrum uh, with a few other business partners, and we're uh, working on some new stock ECU technology stuff that we've been developing for the past couple years. Okay. So yeah, I mean, with with how powerful all the new factory ECUs are that just control pretty much everything. Yep. Everything, you know, it it probably is just open the horizons as far as what you you can do yep yep and so we've got a new device now that we've manufactured um it allows us to do uh, a lot of things that you know other um devices can't such as live tuning wireless data logging wireless flashing so it's a lot of new technology that you know our industry has never seen um and we're getting close to releasing that okay now let's back up a little bit i mean what's your what's your background um, I started calibrating, uh, doing engine calibration when I was uh, 18 years old. Um, I started kind of doing freelance stuff, kind of learning it. Um, years ago, I worked for a tiny, teeny little company called AMS Performance. Uh, yeah, a lot just of little bitty baby. Company. Yeah, uh, a lot of people know AMS. Um, I learned a lot at AMS. I'm still very close with those guys. Um, and you know, from there, I kind of. Uh, started picking up some of the reverse engineering stuff and in my spare time I would spend my weekends working on that and then kind of developed the reverse engineering and kind of uh, brought it into engine calibration as well and so now I do uh, a a big variety of both of calibration and reverse engineering kind of hacking of ECUs. Okay. How long ago was it that you were at AMS? Was that back in like the the DSM and like Evo days? It was in the Evo days, kind of the beginning of the GTR stuff. Okay. Um, That was when, you know, GTRs were breaking constantly, trying to go above a certain horsepower range, and you know since then they've taken it a lot, lot further. But um, you know, it's kind of there in the early days for that. Okay, nice. Now, did you like have an Evo before that? No, or? no. I uh, I was big into DSMs growing up and all track Celicas of all things. Because um, all tracks are pretty cool, man. Yeah. If you can even find them anymore. Yeah, I mean they're hard to find. They were rare then. They're even more rare now. But uh, just always love cars, and then. Um, you know, I always wanted to be an engineer, and uh, I hated school, though, so I ended up just tuning cars, and that's kind of what I've stuck with, you know, so. 
What was the first car you ever tuned? The first car I ever tuned was a Honda CRV uh, with a Super AFC and a, uh, a shot of nitrous. Okay. Uh, I didn't sleep the night before. I was so nervous. <laughs> but, uh, you know, come a long way since then. So is your, your background before all of this, was it in Hondas? Is that what you're kind of into when you're in no, school? No, it was mostly um, mostly DSM stuff. I uh, really went hard into the uh, Mitsubishi Evolution stuff and then a lot of Subaru stuff, kind of phased the Subaru stuff out eventually, um, but really stuck, especially at AMS. I uh, did a lot of Evo calibration and then uh, GTR. Um, past few years, I've been doing 90% of my work has been in Porsche. Um having helped to create the uh, access port for the Porsche. And then I've done a lot of professional racing uh, with some, you know, various Porsche race teams and won um, uh, two IMSA championships back to back. So nice. Um, a lot of time there. Now we're starting to do more McLaren stuff. Uh, we've got some world records in McLaren as well. So uh, on top of all that calibration, we do a lot of um, still just trying to do product development stuff too. So okay, a lot of stuff going on. Now, how have you seen, I guess, just the tuning world change over the years since you've been in it? I mean, it's it's obviously a lot more complicated now, but is it in some ways easier at the same time? There's a lot more information. Um, I think there's a lot better community of people helping each other. I think that things like open source and some of the Evo stuffs have, act, have actually helped it to kind of um, bring better information to light. Um, back when I started, there was no information, so you kind of had to figure everything out on your own. I think things are getting better. Cars are getting more complicated. Um, stock engine computers are getting more complicated when you add dual clutch transmissions and just control logic itself has gotten a lot more convoluted. So it takes a lot more time to figure that out. But you know, there's a lot of great companies out there that build great software. Um, and so it does help to facilitate better tuning. Okay. I mean, so, I mean, like with the Porsche, like when you did my GT3 and there was like, what, a hundred different maps? Yeah. I mean, any technically in a lot of standard ECUs now, calibrator parameters, there can be anywhere from really 30 to 100,000 different calibratable parameters, not including any data monitors and stuff like that. So um, we have a very... Uh, in-depth process of how we figure out what needs to work and what tables do what and how it actually works at a code level. Um, so it's it's a pretty in-depth thing to take on. Yeah, when you were showing me all that stuff, it was making my head spin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I go, oh, I miss standalones. Yeah, yeah. The standalone stuff is, uh, it can be a bit easier, but even with some of the MoTeC and Cyvex stuff, they've done a great job with implementing a bit more uh, maybe factory-like-ish technology, but it is a bit more uh, direct in terms of control. So, um, you know, things have changed quite a bit in the past 10 years, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, obviously when you were at Cobb, um, you know, I remember just a couple years ago when you were there, they started adding a lot of different platforms yep. to the access port. I mean, you had the BMW stuff, yep. uh, you had the Volkswagen stuff and the Porsche stuff, just Volkswagen Automotive Group things that were added, yep. Ford, you know, like there was... It just seems like, you know, they broke into a lot of different platforms. Yeah, and it takes a lot of time. Um, you know, Cobb is a great company. They have a lot of really great engineers. So it um, it just takes a lot of effort. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not a one-man show. It takes a tremendous amount of people for each platform. So, um, you know, you talk about things like Ford. Ford is really, really complicated. You wouldn't think it would be as complicated as it is, but... You know, they have a lot of model control systems. They have just a lot that goes on in the background that is 
really hard to you know kind of pick up and really get to get a grasp on so um you know definitely some really sharp people at Cobb uh that helped to figure that stuff out but uh, yeah they've picked up quite a bit uh, and they're doing quite well with it yeah, you know, when, you know, you talk about tuning Ford and things like that, is is most of their ECU architecture, I guess, built on the same thing? So once you break it for one platform, you can, you know, apply it to any other Ford vehicles? It's it's a bit different. Um, you know, I won't go into too much detail about Ford because I'm not Mr. Ford, but, you know, they kind of take an ECU that's built by Bosch and then they'll basically apply more of a Ford logic to it. Not every manufacturer is that way. Sometimes they'll buy a Bosch ECU or a Continental ECU and kind of take just the basic framework that they've got uh, from that manufacturer. They'll make small changes. Ford seems to put a lot of their own control strategy into it. And so with that, there is some overlap between platforms, um, but there are some, some differences. Even between model years, there is some pretty big differences in terms of how they do some of their control strategy. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, with with just the complexity of new vehicle systems, I'm sure it takes a lot more time to be able to kind of break into the ECU and know what the actual streams of data are for. And, you know, it's just to me, it just seems incredibly complex. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, with every new car that comes out, they're adding more and more stuff and it. So it gets a lot more complicated. You know, every iteration of a car, it's it's definitely more complicated. It's a long way from VAFCs, huh? Long, long, long ways. <laughs> but uh, it's better, you know. Good control is, is a good thing. So, it, um, you know, they, they can model and they can condition for every instance of anything you could possibly think of. So it, it is good in a lot of ways, but it just makes life a little harder for people like me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you want to tell us some about your wireless system? Sure. That, that sounds really cool. Sure. So... Um, with the help of a couple of other engineers, um, one of them is John Banks. Uh, John is um, actually a doctor, and he lives in Scotland. And um, for those that kind of know some of the Evo and GTR stuff from before, John is actually one of the guys that brought a lot of the early custom features to GTR. And he also did a lot of the custom features in the early Evo stuff for the open source community. Um, so he's helped to do a lot of stuff um, to bring some new technology to light. Um, Joe Graham also is a part of it, and uh, Joe worked with me in Porsche at Cobb. Um, so Joe and I have been working together for a long, long time. He's a software engineer, really great software engineer. Um, does a lot of firmware and uh, security stuff. So together we've all been kind of... Um, working towards this wireless device. So now we're actually manufacturing a PCB, kind of a full, totally wireless device. There's nothing that connects to it. And now we can um, start to do some stuff like uh, full live tuning, um, and we don't actually even have to be sitting in the car. Really? Yeah. So we can now um, flash a car, we can data log a car, and live tune a car, um, and we don't even, I mean, we can be in the next room over. So... Um, you know, in terms of our technology, you know, and kind of where things are at, there's nothing else that's quite like what we've got. Um, we're trying to get it to market here, hopefully in the next couple months. Um, but it'll be uh, it'll be big for the stock ECU community because now we don't. It'll act more like a standalone where we don't have to stop and flash every time. We can literally do a full calibration from start to finish, flash the car one time, and we're completely done. We had other things be a lot to. Quicker. Oh yeah, a lot quicker. Um, we also add things like flex fuel, um, safeties for flex fuel, other custom features. So, you know, we really are kind of approaching 
more of a standalone type device while still all working inside of a stock uh, ECU. Okay. So now how does that interface with the stock ECU? Do you, you know, just plug it up OBD2 or CAN bus? Yeah, we, uh, we plug into the OBD2 port and then uh, we flash our, we have a ton of custom code that we flash onto the ECU. And um, once we get that all in there, then the, in, the device just goes. And so it can start to interface with either your computer or your phone. And then so you can look at live data on your phone if you'd like to. If you're tuning the car, we'll release a pro tuning suite. Um, that'll allow pro tuners to be able to, you know, tune cars live, data log them live. Um, and the speed of the data logging is really fast. I mean, typically I would say, you know, fast logging on a, on a stock car is, uh, you know, let's say a Porsche or something, for instance, is about 50 Hertz for 20 parameters, which is pretty good. Um, on our stuff, depending on the car, we can log 50, 50 or so parameters between hundred to 500 Hertz. Wow. So um, the resolution's much higher. So the quality of the calibration becomes much, much better. Yeah. So, so I mean, with, with that wireless system and being able to essentially tune not having to be in the actual car in the vicinity, mm-hmm. would that open it up eventually to be able to do live tunes over the Internet? It could. Um, it could. We, for now, we, <laughs> we do kind of want tuners to probably stick with the car just right. in case and so they can drive it in case something does happen. We may open it up to being something where we can do it from afar, um, but to start, we'll make it so a tuner's got to be in the car. It is nice because it's wireless. We don't have, you know, for those of you guys that have tuned cars, you've got wires everywhere. Now it's, you know, simply plug our device in the OBD2 port, and then it just interfaces, you know, directly to your computer, and it works great. Okay. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's gonna gonna open up a lot of doors and yeah. just make tuners even more efficient than they yeah, already are. Yeah, it will be. So it'll be it'll be great for the whole entire community. So I'm looking forward to you know us getting it out and getting getting it into you know in customers' hands as well as tuners, so that you know everybody can kind of experience what we've been playing with because right. it really is pretty neat. And what's that? What's that product going to be called? It's called the DS1. Okay. So um, it's under our Dyno Spectrum company. So. Uh, We've got the product being manufactured now. We're kind of finishing up our odds and ends and getting firmware and stuff kind of ready to go. But we're hoping within the next couple of months that we'll start to be able to roll the product out. Okay. What are the first platforms that you guys are targeting? To start, we'll start with Audi um, for the uh, 4-liter twin-turbo motors. So the uh, S6, S7, RS7, RS6, and S8. Um, we'll start there, and then from there, we're kind of up in the air on what we're going to do next. Um, we haven't quite decided yet, but we'll at least start there, kind of feel the, test the waters out, see how it gets received, and then we'll kind of move on to whatever we think is the next relevant platform. So, okay. I think it's going to end up being huge. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. We've got a lot of time in it, so <laughs> let's. Uh, we're hoping people buy it and and uh, enjoy the product. So. Yeah, you know, with um, you know, with those platforms that you're targeting, you know, obviously those vehicles are sold pretty much around the world. Yep. So that's obviously a really, really good place to start. Yep. Um, have you seen there be a growth kind of in that, like that high end luxury sedan category? Yeah, with especially with a lot more of the cars coming to be, you know, especially like you look at the BMWs. You know, you're starting to see more of that luxury sedan stuff being turbocharged. So you know the potential of those cars making power is really good. So we're trying to kind of target those enthusiast markets to where, you know, they're a little bit higher end um, and they want some extra features. They want to run flex fuel. They want to run bigger turbos. Um, You couple that with, you know, 
you'll be able to buy the device. It'll have calibrations already preset on it. But if you want to go further, then, you know, we'll allow uh, pro tuners to be able to take it, you know, to whatever level you want. So yeah. it'll be good. Any, any Anything like GT3 flex fuel? <laughs> we most likely. Most I likely. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, especially with some of the newer cars, we'll most likely there's a good chance we'll do a lot of flex fuel on pretty much everything. Um, and we'll most of our, our flex fuel stuff goes directly into the CAN bus. So it's actually being fed um, directly to the ECU. Oh, so you don't have to disconnect some function no, to, to we'll, pour it in. Um, we'll, we'll wire it, everything in. So you will deal, basically the only thing you'd have to do is just be able to get the sensor in line somewhere so you do get that reading. But everything does get piped back into the actual CAN bus, and then we do take that and we add safeties. So we write a bunch of custom code to basically take all that. And then, you know, like let's say you run out of gas or, you know, your E85 that you think is E85 turns into E25. We said safeties that'll pull load limits and stuff like that down to keep the car from exploding. So um, we put a lot of you know thought into worst possible scenarios and kind of that thing to make sure that you know nothing bad's going to happen to your car. So. Especially like you're starting to deal with a lot of the exotics. Right. And right. Something happens to one of those. That's yeah. It's bad news. So <laughs> you know it's safety precautions for them as well as us, I suppose. But um, yeah, we try and make it as safe as possible. Oh man, I can't wait. Yeah. Now, when you're tuning on on flex fuel, obviously there's you know a sensor that reads the different you know ethanol content of the fuel. Yep. Um, when you're actually building out the calibrations, do you have to build one for essentially every you know ethanol content level, or do you build like a couple different ones and then it kind of fills in the gaps in between? A lot of what we do is um, we'll kind of do both. We'll tune for both extremes, kind of do it in the middle. But what we do, the nice thing is kind of the strategy, the way we set it up with the custom code is it, it is meant to blend. So it is kind of a linear interpolation um, to a point. Um, so we can, you know, tune it for both sides of it and then allow it to blend and it usually gets it pretty close. Um, you know, if we want to get real crazy, we will go at, you know, kind of step it down, tune it. But for the most part, the interpolation does a great job of kind of blending everything. And there are corrections enough to where it can say, you know, it does have some freedom to be able to move back and forth if it needs to. So okay. yeah, it's always just something that I've, I've kind of wondered about yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It's a good question though. The flex feel on on my Suru works flawlessly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cobb did a really great job with that, um, and it's kind of the same, uh, not the exact same system, but it's kind of the same functionality of uh, just using it to blend, and it it does a great job. Okay. Now with all these new factory turbo cars, is it? I guess obviously it's opened up the market a lot more for tuners to be able to extract a lot of a lot of power. Yep. But do you see a I guess a change in the market now that there's a lot of factory turbo cars as opposed to people building kits or putting together kits where there's a lot more consistency like when a car comes in, you know, and you're calibrating it, can you I guess it it doesn't take as much time or you already know kind of the baseline on where to start? Yeah, we typically have a good, pretty good starting point, um, you know, and we can move from there. The other nice thing about newer cars coming in is, you know, if they haven't been really heavily modified and things like that, we typically don't have to do a lot of mechanical troubleshooting. So as long as we have a good base, it typically doesn't take us quite as long to get everything where we want to. You know, before when we were doing a lot of Evo stuff, as they started to get older, you know, you'd have cars that started to come in with, you know, second or third hand used parts. And, you know, you end up troubleshooting more than you are trying to just do any type of calibration work. 
Um, anymore, it's gotten a lot better, at least with some of the, you know, the cards that we cater to in terms of the demographic. You know, we do a lot of exotic car tuning as well. So, you know, with like a McLaren or a Ferrari, you know, they're not trying to put giant turbos on them and make a thousand and fit, you know, a million horsepower. So it's a lot more straightforward. Um, and we don't run into the same kind of mechanical gremlins that we did before. So, which is nice. So. Okay. Now, of any of the newer cars, and including the exotics, what's been the most surprising, I guess, just in factory form, that you could essentially get the most power out of or that surprised you the most, that uh, you didn't think you'd get close to the power that you Oh, got? that's easy. It's the McLaren 720. Oh, yeah? I mean, that car, as far as I'm concerned, that, that car is cheating. Um, <laughs> there is no car that I have done, I don't think in my life, that has been able to run as fast as that car can. We're right now running... Uh, on Ikenu Racing in ba- in the Middle East in Bahrain, he's running a 905 um, at 100 and about 55 miles an hour with just a downpipe and a flash. Really? Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> even compared to the GT, you know, I do a decent amount of GT2 RS tuning, um, and those cars don't hold a candle to the 720. I mean, they're just they're really really amazing cars. Uh, McLaren did a great great job with that car. So. What, um, what kind of power gains can you see with just a downpipe and an ECU? It's a or lot. A, not an ECU, a flash. We're right. making about, I mean, realistically, we make between 870 to about 910 wheel horsepower. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and they weigh about, they're about 400 pounds lighter than a GT2 RS. Yeah. So, I mean, they're just wow. crazy, crazy fast. Wow. So, yeah, they're great cars. Um, we, we tune a lot of them. Uh, we do a lot of support for them. We were in Texas 2K this weekend running them. Um, we won the DCT class with that. So, you know, we, we've had a lot of success with them, but really, you know, it is kind of like cheating cause they're so fast out of the box. Yeah. So just great cars all, you know, all together. Now, what is that TX2K event like? You know, I've, I've always heard about it, but I've never actually gone down to Houston to kind of like check everything out. It's a great event. I mean, it is just, it's huge, heavy hitter cars. Um, you know, it's mostly GTRs. I mean, GTRs now are making, you know, in the 3,000 horsepower. Yeah. Um, then you've got the Lamborghinis that are running, you know, 3,500 wheel horsepower. So, you know, anymore, if you show up with a car that's less, you know, 1,000 horsepower or less, you, I mean, you're not even going to be... Nobody even blinks an eye. No, yeah. I mean, you're not even going to be in the same ballpark. So, fortunately, this year they had a class that was for DCT cars, for dual-clutch cars, and it kind of had some more stringent... Um, rules in terms of you know what could be done it had to be stock turbo you couldn't go you know crazy with it um and we had pretty stiff competition there was a lot of really fast gtrs and we ended up squeaking one out just right at the end and ended up winning uh first place in dct but nice. um but yeah the, i mean the cars are i would say a majority of the cars are running you know eight five or below in a quarter wow. which is you know really really fast <laughs> yeah so. Yeah, a lot of heavy hitters there for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that event's one of those kind of bucket list events, I think, for people. Yeah, I think everybody should check it out because it's um, there, it's a huge, huge event. You know, there's a lot of people there, a lot of cars. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, it really is. And it's put on, they prep the track really well. It's just a really well done event. They do a great job. So. Are they still using the track that's out by Hennessy? No, they they use that uh, uh, Houston Motorsports Park, the Royal Purple Raceway. Okay. So, um, and they bring out uh, Jason Miller. He does all the um, the Haltech World Finals um, out on the East Coast, but he's like the master of track prep. So, 
you know, he, he does a great job of getting the track ready, and those guys put down crazy 60-foot times, even yeah. making a billion horsepower. So Now, I've heard word on the street is that uh, being in town during that event, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the evenings just around town. There is. All there over. is. We lost a couple <laughs> drivers to those events. Oh, yeah. Um, the cops are not... Uh, they're not messing around with that stuff anymore. Basically, if you get caught, you're going to jail. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of street racing, you know, big money street racing. And, um, you know, I typically don't take part in any of that stuff. But, yeah, there is a lot of it. Yeah, so, I can imagine. Yeah, a whole bunch of it. But, um, you know, I think they go out and have fun. And, you know, anytime you get a bunch of car people together, it's, you know, you're going to get some street racing, unfortunately. So yeah. it is what it is. So what all what all customer cars did you guys have at that event? We had uh, three McLaren 720s. Okay. Um, we ended up taking, we were, I think, one, two, three fastest McLaren's the at the event. Just oh, overall. Just overall, okay. Yeah, so um, we had a good showing. Uh, it was a lot of work, but it was a good showing. So, yeah, enjoyed it. So I, I was wondering, you know, like I was involved in GTR drag racing for a while because I was the suspension tuner guy. Sure. But that, and I guess some of my cars had the record in 60 foots and all okay. that for a while. Um, but then I stopped paying attention to that stuff. And so back then, like a lot of horsepower for a GTR was maybe about 1300 horsepower. Yeah. So what's, what's the upper limit of GTR tuning nowadays? <sighs> I think Rob Harper's running, I want to say Rob's running about 30, about 3,000 wheel. He, I think Rob, and Rob's going to hate me because I don't remember the number exactly. I want to say Rob's somewhere around a 650 at about 230 miles an hour. Wow. So he's, I mean, cars are really fast. Two cars at TX2K, two GTRs clicked off in the sixes that I know of, um, Giddy did in one of the ETS GTRs, and then uh, AMS with their OB Prestige Queen went six eight seven. Um, so they're they're fast. They're really fast. Yeah, we, th- we thought we were fast doing mid eights. Yeah, but, but uh, is that with a billet block? Um, I would assume so. I don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure AMS is on a billet block. I'm unsure if ETS is. I would think so, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Man, I mean, I don't, I don't see how they can get that out of the architecture and have it maintain the structural integrity. It's and really impressive because yeah. you figure now that GTRs can pretty much reliably, you know, make a constant, probably twelve or thirteen hundred wheel horsepower as like almost a daily driver. You know, where they can take it to work, drive it around, and it's a you know pretty reliable car even at that power level. At, at three thousand horsepower, uh, the standard like. Chev trans stuff does that even hang anymore it does you know it does have a limited lifespan anytime you're putting that type of power through something it's you know it's got a limited lifespan but yeah i mean shep does a great job um you know his stuff definitely does stay together and shep was there racing he ran 760s in his car um but yeah it does you know there there is a there is a lifespan on it but um yeah those guys were getting a decent amount of hits out i mean they break a lot of other stuff axles drive shafts i mean but um, yeah, they're getting a decent amount of passes out of that stuff. So he does a great job. What was what was the biggest advancement, I guess, in GTR tuning that let them start kind of breaking that like 15, 16, 17, 1800 horsepower barrier? I would probably guess that it was more of engine technology being able to physically hold that amount of power. Um, AMS started billing, doing some of the billet block mm-hmm. stuff. 
Um, some of the fuel technology came a long way. Some of, you know, um, engine oiling did as well. So now you've got a lot more guys running mechanical fuel pumps. Um, the standalones have come a long ways too. Uh, Cybex does a great job. Motec does a great job. Um, and, you know, just with some time, people have started to learn some tricks, you know, how to get 60 foots down, set up suspensions, and kind of all that stuff working together is just pushing cars faster and faster and faster. So um, a lot of really fast GTRs out there, that's for sure. Yeah. So Now, with cars being, I guess, so much more, I guess, being able to extract a lot more potential from them now, mm -hmm. you obviously have all these other systems in place, too, mm -hmm. like, you know, like the dual-clutch transmission that you're yep. going to have to be tuning and traction control, stability yep. control. I mean, is that something that you guys pretty much encompass all of when you're tuning a vehicle yeah um we do uh especially in like stuff like porsche you know we at cobb started doing pdk flashing um learned a great deal about that stuff but yeah you have to kind of take all that stuff into account you do have to make transmission modifications in terms of reprogramming if you know we need to increase clutch pressures and the pdk stuff we did a lot we did you know, de decrease overlap time so that the car would shift faster. We did some tricks uh, in the turbos and stuff where we can um, switch the, the sh shifter stocks up and down, um, pull both paddles to go into neutral. Um, just a lot of little things that do end up helping quite a bit. But okay. yeah, it's kind of the same in the GTR. They had to do a lot of, um, you know, kind of small changes, but things that would make the, the trans be able to shift and kind of live a bit longer. So. Okay. Now, for like the, the PDK and DSG transmissions, are those actually built to take a lot more power than what the cars are putting out from the factory? They can make a good amount more. Um, you know, in testing and in drag racing, I mean, I've split it, you know, I've split PDKs in half. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's just part of pushing things. It's, you know, you're going to break stuff, and that's kind of where we start to see the limits. Um, some companies have stepped up, like Dodson Motorsports. They started building clutches. They do all the clutches for the... Uh, uh, GTRs as well and um, that helps to take you know a bit of strain off the entire trans and that allows the clutches to be able to work correctly and not slip um, but yeah I mean in, in the process we've broken some things but you know it's kind of that test of failure analysis stuff it's you know as an engineer you kind of need to know where the breaking point is in anything you know and we do it the same thing with en engines you know we'll take a rod out and we'll do some more like um fea analysis and some rockwell hardness testing to know how far a stock rod can go yeah. and um, we do have some more analytic processes to really figure out what you know how much power a car can take in you know a transmission or an engine or whatever so um you know it's not just blindfolded let's see how much <laughs> right. power we can make you know there right. is we do have quite a process um to try and figure out when stuff starts to go okay so now for i guess for tuning philosophy you know we've talked a lot about drag racing and yep. making a lot of power but what about for you know i know you said you tune for some porsche race teams mm -hmm. and stuff like that and you've tuned mike streetcar mm -hmm. you know what what are different things that you might change or modify um, in the tuning process for different sorts of applications. Well, so like in a Porsche, like if, you know, if we had a car that was going to run some sort of endurance race, you know, a, a big thing that I'm big on is that, especially in race cars where, you know, if you're running some longer race, you know, we do things that it's not necessarily about making as much power as you physically can. It's trying to find little tiny ways of increasing something. And even if it only increases it by, a tenth of a second or something that's over time that equates to a lot 
Um, the other thing we have to keep conscious of is fuel consumption. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of depends on whatever the discipline of racing is, um, you know, for long-term things or for, uh, road, uh, you know, road courses or whatever, you know, professional amateur, whatever, you know, we're not trying to extract every little horsepower because we also have to think about heat. Um, you know, I've run Pikes Peak. I do a lot of Pikes Peak support. Um, oh, it must be an interesting one to tune for. Yeah. And, and, and that's a good example because it's, um, you know, we have to account for, well, you know, we start at 9,000 feet and by the time we get to 14,000, a lot of things have changed, but you have to make some barrel compensations. Um, we do some other things for, to keep the turbos alive. Um, and the other thing a lot of people just don't think about is that, you know, if a car makes a thousand horsepower down low, by the time it gets to the top, it's not making that power but it's still trying to. So what right. we end up getting is the car becomes just starts to get a lot of heat um, just because of the lack of oxygen. So we have to incorporate some, some tuning strategies to where we start to actually pull boost out of it to try and keep temperatures down and just make the, make sure the car is going to live for the entire race. Cause you know, all too often you see guys that try and just run up the mountain and you know, the car blows up halfway yeah. cause they're not thinking about, well, you know, the car no longer has enough air to do this and it overheats or melts or whatever. So now do you develop like elevation tables, I guess? We based do. On... Yeah. Okay. Based on, um, based on barrel pressure, we've got a lot of, uh, kind of like little tricks, but you know, it's nothing groundbreaking, but a lot of what we'll do is we'll measure turbo speed. Um, if we have turbo speeds that go too high, we start to actually pull boost back. If temperatures get too high, we pull boost back. Um, it's a little bit counterintuitive cause you would think, well, I want more boost. I want more boost. But in reality, just doing that, it, it puts so much strain on the turbochargers that we end up losing turbochargers. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, you know, long-term, are we going to make it to the top? Cause it's that's kind of like the a most balance, important. right? Right. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things that you wouldn't think w would work is actually what we do to keep cars alive and finish the race. So, okay. Now for, you know, for some of the endurance racing stuff, do mm -hmm. you end up developing separate tunes for like fuel conservation if that's needed? Yes. Okay. So we'll do stuff like if there, if a car goes under yellow, then, you know, we'll make changes to where it runs a much, much leaner air fuel ratio um, target so that they can cruise and, you know, they're using as little fuel as possible. And then um, we kind of do the same thing in the race, really for endurance racing of any kind, it's always you know, fuel consumption is number one. Power is great, but, um, you know, especially in heavy, heavily regulated series, it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, you can really only make so much extra horsepower and really where it is winning races is just being able to be out there and running with as few stops as possible. So, um, you know, that's a big one. Yeah. I mean, what are, what are some of the main failures that I guess that you've seen? Not, you know, maybe not with cars that you've tuned, but just, cars that have been tuned and maybe not quite tuned correctly um you know what what are the the biggest things i guess that you see that get messed up i mean it's it's oh man a lot of things yeah. i mean it's you see kind of see everything it's um you know maybe not quite understanding a whole control system and how it works you know you, you often see a lot of the trying to run too much timing for the fuel and honestly sometimes it's not even the calibrator's fault it's you know a car will get tuned on some fuel and the customer just decides, oh, I can just put pump gas in it and throws pump gas in it and it lasts for two pulls before it explodes. But, um, you know, I think one of the bigger things you see is cars that are just tried to run, be run too aggressive and it ends up, you know, just pushing the limits the a little too, yeah. too much. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that are just mechanical failures. You do get a lot of that too, where just something simply fails. If, you know, fuel pump starts dying, an injector gets clogged, something, and it just, you know, over time it'll melt something down. Yeah. So, um, you know, cars are still mechanical. It's uh, got to kind of keep an eye on everything. So that's, you know, and a lot more ECUs now are starting to build in safeties to, if it does start to see things like that. Now ECUs are getting a bit smarter about it and they'll start to limit boost and things like that. Right. So now are there ever any issues that you see with factory tunes that actually make the car more dangerous to drive with a factory tune than an aftermarket tune? Yeah. Subaru is a good example of that. Um, (laughs) Subaru, you know, for a lot of years has done some things where, you know, they'll run the car really lean coming in, um, you know, even under full boost, they'll run them really lean for emissions purposes. But, you know, uh, on a lot of the Subarus, you know, their motors aren't super strong. They use a hyper eutectic piston and that combination of the heat just is really hard on them. So, you know, we saw that for years um, that, you know, you could run on a factory tune and it would either break a ring land or you know sometimes we get spun bearings and just random stuff so yeah i mean we see it actually mostly in subaru but uh but yeah it does it absolutely happens you know a lot there's so many manufacturers that are so worried about emissions testing that you know i think sometimes they push it a little too far in trying to get that compatibility in terms of what they're trying to accomplish for the epa and um Sometimes it can be uh, detrimental to the engine. So it's it's funny you mentioned Subaru. So I had an FRS back okay. in 2012, 2013, ended up having some engine issues because yeah. the transient retard timing table, yeah. you know, I guess over 5,000 or 6,000 RPM, it just wasn't there. Yeah. So essentially, you do a wide open throttle shift. Sure. And you know, I ended up. I think I grenaded like you know a motor from it. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, and that's not uncommon. So it's you know Subarus are. Subarus are great cars. They they just leave a little bit to be desired in some of the motor stuff that you know at least some of the U.S. cars have gotten. But um, I, I know like um, I had a friend that he had a brand new STI and he was just going to baseline dyno it. Yeah. So bone stock baseline dyno it blew up blew on the up. second pole. <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, geez. and that's so know. it was a warranty. <laughs> yeah. And then he sold the car right yeah. after that. Man. Yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's, I'd say, I'd love to tell you that's uncommon, but it's not, you know, with Subarus, it's, um, it's just kind of how they are. They've got a big following. They can be really fast. You know, there's some guys out there doing some really great things with Subarus too, uh, tuners, especially, um, you know, IAG does a great job. Uh, there's a friend of mine, Junior, he tunes all kinds of Subarus. He tunes Sally's car, right? I think, I think IAG too. Uh, yeah, I think IAG Maybe. is Sally's sponsor. Yeah. 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 So they do a lot of really, they've done some really great stuff with some of the Subaru, their engine program for Subarus. They've done a great job. And, um, you know, there's some really great Subaru guys out there that, you know, kind of make up for all the the uh, shortcomings of what Subaru's done from the factory. Okay. <laughs> so. so scared of mine. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. running so good, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's usually what happens right before they blow up, man. <laughs> <laughs> they usually run yeah, great. They're, they're fastest and before then, they go. And they're gone. Yeah. Well, well, when Mitch tuned the car, I mean, after he tuned it, it had better drivability and stuff than stock. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It was just pure luck. <laughs> Still going. Daily driver. Yeah. That's nice. good. Nice. My that's daughter good. drives it every day. Yeah, that's a, that's a good test for a car. So what uh, what did you drive here today? Uh, I'm in our development S6. Okay. So I had a bunch of other uh, toys, but when I left Cobb, we, you know, I had McLarens for testing, and then I had a, I actually had an Ultraviolet GT3 RS. Oh, nice. 
Nice. Um, we did some testing. It's with. a good color. It is. I love that. Color. Although I don't like it so much on the silver wheels as much as I do on like the black wheels. Yeah, I had black BBSs Personally. on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, no. I, I have these. Uh, those, yeah, those but they're right. Really they're good. in your office. They're not on the car. Yeah, you got to get those on the car. I haven't figured out the center lock. <laughs> uh, I'm only half joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I'm driving the S6. I mean, I've been kind of doing long-term testing with that stuff, um, working on some of the data logging stuff, and uh, trying to get that all going. So talk about a great car to daily around oh LA, my though. God. Man. Yeah, and it massages your back yeah. while you drive. So <laughs> yeah. That's one of the greatest things that's ever happened in automotive history. So. Can't fault you for that one, man. No, no, it's a great car. So, so did you move back just because of World's Dino? Um, no. I world, I moved back because I hate Texas. So um, It's hot and humid. It's, it just wasn't for me. Austin was not a place for me. And I, I, I truth be told, I just love Southern California. So um, World has a great setup. Um, you know, they had an open office, basically. So... You know, we don't need much space because we're just a couple of nerds that uh, where, where sit in front of computers. Where is your office over there? It's in front where uh, um, JD's office was. We over, we took over where JD was. Oh, so you got a window. Yeah. Nice. We can see outside. Oh, JD's not there anymore? Uh-uh. He's, because he was he lives in uh, Huntington, so I think he moved. He's working closer to his house. Project or import or just, something, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he's mm-hmm. working out of that office now. Yeah. But yeah, because I can imagine that commute up here wouldn't have been that much fun. That's and actually what we years. do. The joke's on us because I live in Huntington and oh, commute really? up. Yeah, but we don't come <laughs> up till later in the afternoon, so it's not it's not too terrible. And we work pretty late, so I used to work catty corner from where you guys are at okay. uh, Ed Garrett. Oh, okay, so, okay, yeah. okay. So know that area very well. Yep, yep. No, it's been great. I mean, working with the world guys is great, and the Dino facility. I mean, you guys have seen that thing. It's yeah, second to none. I mean, I've worked in a lot of Dino cells in my life, and that one's really hard to beat so they're still doing a lot of mercedes stuff over there they are yeah okay. they do a lot of mercedes they've been doing a lot more uh porsche stuff as well um but yeah they they do quite a bit so that's a Seems platform like lately i've been in world like every other day yeah <laughs> You know, in the luxury market, the the Mercedes platform seems to be one that's kind of underappreciated. You don't you don't see too many people tuning Mercedes very often. Yeah, now and you know, especially now, it's I think it'll start to be a lot more prevalent thing because um, you can start to you know OBD two flash them. Mm-hmm. Before, you know, you'd have to do is you'd have to pull the ECUs out of them. Some of them you actually you some people flash were, it. Dr- well, they were drilling the ECUs. Oh, really? Yeah, so they could get to boot pins and stuff, and all that's oh. kind of gone by the wayside. So I think you'll start to see a lot more people doing. Mercedes flashing and kind of pushing the envelope a bit more but okay. um, you know it's something AMS was doing and I think they still do but um, they had pretty good results in the AMS or in the uh, Mercedes platform it's still a dream car for me is like an E55 or E63 mm-hmm. AMG wagon yeah that's like the dream daily yeah they're great cars just don't buy one brand new yeah yeah <laughs> make sure you get the extended warranty yep <laughs> yep <laughs> so nice so, I mean, from from your experience just over the years, mm-hmm. you know, having tuned multiple different, you know, cars and platforms, mm-hmm. I guess what has been the most enjoyable one for you? I think Porsche. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I've always been a huge Porsche fan, even since I was a kid. Um, I've done, I've gotten the opportunity to do a lot of great things with the Porsche brand. Um, I enjoy them. I understand the cars very well. I just love the cars. So... Um, you know, I think it's been, that's probably my favorite. 
Um, McLaren is definitely a close second. Um, I'm really, you know, I've always liked the cars, you know, since I, you know, I bought one, I owned it. It was great. Um, which one did you have? I had a 570S, you know, other than how much attention they draw, um, you know, I really liked it, but, uh, yeah, Porsche will kind of always be, I'll always have my soft spot for Porsche and I really enjoy tuning them. They're great cars. So, uh, they take a lot of power. They're fast. They're fun. They're comfortable. They do everything just very well. So, you know, I think I'll always be a Porsche guy at heart, but, you know, happy to work on anything else, really. Oh, is there anything special that Porsche has done that you have noticed? I can't. It's, it's, hard, it's, to hard, to, it's hard to say, yeah. but I think just overall, they've, you know, they've built the 911 for so long now that they've really gone through and every iteration, it just gets a little bit better and they fix the little things and it just gets better and better and better. And, and truthfully, the PDK transmission, it, a lot of people want to say save the manuals but i don't think you've ever driven a pdk because it (laughs) it is just it will ruin you so that transmission is perfect in every way i mean it is i cannot imagine a better transmission so i've gotten to drive quite a few of them and you know just putting it in like sport plus mode yeah it it essentially reads your mind every time you go for an upshift it does it every time you're about to go for downshift it'll do it and it just it's so highly refined now. I just did a track day and I didn't even touch the shifter. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what most instructors will tell you. Yep. And, you know, and even, you know, being around race cars and whatever else, it's honestly, you're not going to drive better than that thing is for you. So it's, they're just great transmissions. So, yep. you know, overall, they're just great cars. Um, you know, I think I'd like to see the air cooled bubble come down a little bit. I'd like to own an air cooled car, but not for the prices they're going for, yeah, but it's, it's kind of, it's, it's heavily inflated. Yeah. At the moment. And I think that'll come down. I hope, but yeah. well, right mm-hmm. now it's just like, it seems to be Porsche crazy right now. It is. Amelia Island concourse was two weeks ago Yep, and there was a, a 914 that like auctioned for like 70 or 75 grand. It wasn't even that's, a 914 six. That's crazy. I mean, that's just crazy. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done, I've done a lot of, um, PCA stuff through the years, a lot of tech seminars and stuff that I've taught and I really enjoy doing that stuff. So, Porsche has been a really good brand for me, um, you know, personally and professionally. So I definitely have to pick Porsche. I so think. is your, your new system, that DS1 that you're developing, mm-hmm. does it have any sort of GPS where like at certain tracks and certain parts of the track, it might be able to pull some timing a little bit, make the car a little quieter? No, no, not yet. <laughs> okay. We might think about doing something like that. But okay. um, right now we're just trying to get it out the door. It's been a pretty tremendous engineering effort. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep refining it, adding features and stuff kind of as it goes but you know there's some stuff we'd like to do adding gps would be a really cool thing um we've talked about doing some other stuff with gps but um yeah i mean it's not a terrible idea i've always thought it'd be really interesting right for certain tracks where there are noise limitations if you use like the noise canceling technology yeah. and just put a big speaker on the back of the car <laughs> and like had it put out the opposing waves yep. to the exhaust uh, we did we did some quick digging though and apparently the power that you would need to amplify it that loud just is not worth it yeah probably yeah yeah so but interesting <laughs> thought though right yeah yeah it's only good for like certain mvh things and the car interiors yeah i think that's the only time it's ever been applied in production yeah yeah i know there's certain cars out there that actually have it it's like an active system within yep. the cabin yep to eliminate road noise and stuff like that uses a stereo yep yeah bmw's been doing it yeah there's a couple of companies that have been doing it Nissan's been doing that for probably more than 20 years. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So what was the first car that it was on in uh, the Nissan lineup? Japanese market. I want okay. to say the SEMA or something. Huh. Hmm. Something like that. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's 
it really just goes to show you that there's a lot that manufacturers can do and a lot that aftermarket companies such yeah. as yourself can do too. Yeah. So, well, cool. Well, where can people find out more about, uh, about what you guys are working on? Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, uh, just Dino Space Spectrum or Dino underscore Spectrum. Uh, we've got a Facebook, Dino Space Spectrum, and then our website, just dinospectrum.com. Um, and, you know, just follow along because, you know, every day this week we've been kind of teasing more and more stuff um, kind of about the device and what we've been, what we're able to do with it. So you start to see more of that stuff. So, yeah, any questions and uh, you can reach us on a couple different avenues. So, well, cool. Awesome. Yeah, maybe we'll have to uh, have to join you over on the dyno sometime too yeah. when you're uh, you guys are you just might be down the street. Mike's car. Yep, you guys are so close. So cool. Well, Mitch, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yep, no problem. We'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks. See you later. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes, and come and find us in the Pit Grid Live to say hello.